Hear this word the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the, the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen, all of the families of the earth, of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when he has no prey? Does he growl in his den when he has caught nothing? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground where no snare has been set? Does a trap spring up from the earth when there is nothing to catch? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants, the prophets. This is God's Word. Please open your Bibles up to Amos chapter 3 while you're doing that. Alex Singoba, that's the way you say it, correct? Alex Singoba is going to be baptized uh, right after the sermon tonight. would like for you to stay and, uh, and to witness that as we, we welcome this new brother in Christ into our, our family here. He is a, a, a soldier at Fort Sam Houston, and I uh, want you to be praying for him as he begins this new life in Christ. Uh, before we jump into Amos chapter 3, let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we've been singing about the greatness of Your holiness tonight, and, and we want to press our mind into Your inspired Word in such a way, Father, that the, the holiness of Your character, the holiness of Your nature comes to us and speaks to us profoundly, Father, and convicts us in our heart of, of the greatness of of, 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 the, of that beauty, the, the profoundness of the beauty of Your holiness. And for us to be drawn toward it, to, to be compelled to live our lives in the same sort of beautiful, holy way that, that You have uh, described to us and have commanded to us and have modeled for us throughout all of Scripture. We pray, Father, that Your Spirit convict us through Your Word and through its indwelling in us. And we pray that you will give us eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, everyone knows the terror of being in the pool of elementary school kids that are in a group and waiting to be picked by one of the captains at, resource, at recess to play a game. The worst thing ever is to be picked last. The best thing is in being first. And uh, one of the things that when, when I was growing up and my, my uh, middle brother, who was much closer to me in age, there was uh, less than two years difference between us. We ended up going to school a lot together. One of the things that we always did, and wasn't always at school, even if we were playing football out in the street or baseball out in the field, you know, if I was a captain, I would always pick him first. That was maybe one of the right things that I did, one of the few right things I did as an older brother you know, to a, <laughs> to a younger brother who happened to be a middle brother at the same time. North Israel, those ten tribes, they were sensitive to and proud of the fact that out of all of the nations in the world, all of the peoples in the world, they had been chosen by God. One of the problems, though, that Amos addresses over and over 
though, is that misunderstanding of what it means to be chosen by God. What that meant. That is why Amos is sent to North Israel, to those ten tribes, to speak to them about their lifestyle as the chosen people of God. Now, one of the reasons North Israel violated so profoundly the will of God is because they had lost sight of the character of God. That is, they lost sight of the one that had chosen them and called them. And Amos says over and over and over again in this book that God is not the kind of God that can be worshipped like any of these other idols that you see in the land that you have introduced into your own nation. He says that God is not bound by tribal boundaries, that He can't be manipulated, He can't be uh, 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 through, through the saying of different mantras and, and different kinds of, of formulaic sayings, He can't not be manipulated into being you know, the God of a certain boundary or a certain tribe over against another tribe. He is the creator of the entire universe. And he says over and over to these ten tribes in the north that God will not compromise His holy character in order to bless an unholy chosen north Israel. It's not Israel's good. It's not Israel's blessing at any expense. Now in your Bibles, in part of the, the text that Jordan just read, I want to read again those first two verses of the third chapter of Amos and make some comments about it. He, he writes, Hear this word, people of Israel. The word the Lord has spoken, what? Against you. That's, that's foreshadowing. That this is not going to be a good word that is being spoken to Israel because it's a word that's spoken against Israel. Against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. And that is to remind them that they are a chosen people, that they are a called people, that God remembered His covenant to them, His, His promises to Abraham, and went into Egypt and brought them out. It is against that whole family that He is in covenant with that He brought out of Egypt. Verse 2, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. There wasn't another Israel hidden some other place in the world. Israel was it. God chose them out of all of the nations of the world to be something special. And because they were not fulfilling that word, that responsibility that came, that was inherent in being chosen, He says, therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Because of those sins, even though I've chosen you, for all of those sins, I speak this word against you, and that word against you is, I will punish you. Because Israel had been chosen, she thought that that meant that she was immune from the judgments of God and all of the attending calamities that were a part of that judgment. Israel did not understand what it meant to be chosen. To be chosen meant that Israel had been selected out of the many nations for a divine purpose. You go back to Genesis chapter 12, it begins, it begins with Abraham. It began with the call of Abraham that was uh, the beginning of the nation of Israel or created from that call of, of Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and brought him into that promised land. That created the nation of Israel. And then that call became global when God called Israel, the nation of Israel, to be His conduit of His will into the entire world. But their understanding, unfortunately, and, and they're living out the ramifications, the implications of what it means to be chosen degenerated to the point where they believed wrongly that to be chosen meant privilege. It meant privilege. 
It meant immunity from, from anything else that might befall the other nations. Their being chosen by God, though, did not mean immunity from His holy demand. That's what Amos is trying to get across to them. That the way that they are treating each other is unholy. The way that they are manifesting or demonstrating what it means to be God's people is, is, is terrible in the eyes of all of the other nations. That's why Paul is going to, to quote the prophets in Romans chapter 2. and says, because of the way you're acting, God's name is blasphemed among the nations. And so Amos is trying to get them to understand that God would not be on their side regardless of how far Israel would slide into rebellion. That it did not matter that they had Torah. It did not matter if they were called by God's name. It did not matter that they had circumcision if they continued to slide into rebellion into that horrid cesspool of sinfulness and oppression and injustice that their society was coming. Be, uh, was becoming. God would always be pro-Israel was their motto, and it was a lie. Thus saith the Lord, for three sins and for four, I will not restrain my wrath. That was not just for the nations, that was for the nation of Israel as well. And what Amos preached was that God is for His holiness and righteousness always. It's His character. It's His, His nature. But there was this incredible gap in their perspectives on being chosen. Israel thought that it meant privilege. God said it meant responsibility, a, a, a responsibility to live according to His will, a responsibility of obedience, a responsibility of worship, and a, and a responsibility of adherence to truth. And because Israel had been chosen out of all of the nations of the world and had been given all of that blessing, therefore, because of their sin, God was going to punish her. I mean, that was the stipulation of the covenant at Sinai, right? When God brings them out of Egypt after 400 plus years of slavery, brings them to Sinai for about nine months and forms them into a nation, no longer slaves and, and a rabble, but a nation that God has created according to His Word, He said, this is what it means. There are blessings and there are cursings. Do you agree? God said, these are the stipulations of the covenant. Would you like to enter into this covenant with me? Now, in ancient times, and we've talked about this before, one of the, the, uh, the practices of, of ratifying a covenant was that if two people decided that they wanted to get something done and that each had a responsible part in that, that negotiation, in that covenant, what they would do after they agreed upon it, they would take an animal and they would slaughter that animal and the pieces would be divided up and both parties would walk between those animals uh, that, that animal that had been slaughtered, and basically they were saying, I am so into this covenant that if I do not keep my responsibility, the things that have been stipulated that are my responsibility, that I've agreed to, may it happen to me what has happened to this animal. Now, it would be kind of amazing thing, sort of as an aside, if that's what we did at marriage ceremonies today that we'd get that bride and groom to make this covenant with each other and to say their vows to each other and to mean it so much that they would walk between those slaughtered animals and say, you know, if we don't keep this, may that happen to us if we don't keep these stipulations that we are vowing to keep this day. Could you imagine what would happen to marriage vows? But Israel said she liked the benefits of being in that kind of relationship. And that it was sort of a friends with benefits kind of a relationship with God, which is a horrible thing. 
It is a tragic thing. She wanted all of the benefits without the commitment. Basically, what she was saying to God was, I, I love you far enough to get the benefits, but that's as far as I love you. I love you to this place and no more. And as soon as another idol came up that was more attractive, another idol that came up that, that promised a better benefit or promised to meet another need, then they would leave God just like that. They were living in this, this cesspool of, 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 of of a misunderstanding of what it meant to be in the simplest of relationships. But here's the thing. Israel was not the only people called by God. The church, later on, through the blood of Jesus Christ, established by His cross, by faith in Christ, the wording of the New Testament is very similar to what we find in the Old Testament. We are called as the church to be the people of God. A couple of examples of this. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and what? Called to be His what? Holy people. Called not just to be forgiven. Not just called to receive you know, the forgiveness and the cleansing of our guilt and to find a good night's sleep at night and, 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 and to find you know, the, the, the blessing of the promises of God to take care of us but called to be His holy people. You go to chapter 8 and verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the, goods of those, for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to what? His purpose. When you are called by God, it's according to His purpose. It's, it's His intent. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And what we want to do as we think about Amos chapter 3 is to make sure that we understand what is happening in this chapter in order to avoid the same mistakes of Israel. Now, what does it mean to be chosen? Being chosen does not imply inherent worthiness. It does not. Choosing is an act of God based on His will and based in His purposes and not ours. It is His supreme right. It is His sovereign right to choose what He chooses to choose. Now that sounds profound, doesn't it? But think about how this worked with the patriarchs. Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob. None of it was based on merit. Think about Abraham. Where was Abraham when he was called? He was in the middle of an idolatrous, polytheistic culture. He himself was polytheistic. He was an idolater. And then later on, Isaac. Think about Isaac. It was not based on the fact that Isaac was going to be great or genius or good-looking. Isaac would not have even come into the world if it had not been the miraculous intervention based in a decision by God to miraculously uh, miraculously intervene in the bodies of Abraham and Sarah who were beyond the age of reproduction. He's 100, she's 90. Paul in Romans 4 says, the Word came and said, you know what, you're going to have a son. Abraham looks at his own body and says, it's not happening here. Looks at his wife, says it's not happening there. But he gives God the glory because he believes that even though it was not based in any power that he had, that God would, would do it. And then think about Jacob. Jacob was the second. Jacob was the second. He did not deserve the inheritance. He was not supposed to get the inheritance, but he got the inheritance indeed. 
The same was true of Israel. It was not because they were beautiful or numerous or powerful or rich. Moses reminds them of this as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Moses is really concerned about them because he knows what they're like. And he knows that you know, they can see a lot of miracles and that they can see a lot of God manifesting His power and His grace and His love and His providence in front of them and that they can go off the track pretty easy. They can turn on a dime because they're human. And so in Deuteronomy, basically Deuteronomy is these sermons, three sermons that Moses gives to remind the people and remind the people and remind the people to choose God at all times and to obey Him and to love Him and to worship Him. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, he says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has what? Chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, to be His treasured possession. The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people. You were the fewest of all peoples. It's not because you're cute. And it's not because you have anything really to give God. God chose you. And you are a people holy to the Lord. But unfortunately, this was not a lesson that was learned by Israel because the doctrine of election, the doctrine of the fact that God chose them for a sovereign, divine purpose deteriorated into favoritism. Which brings us to the second thing. Being chosen does not imply favoritism. This is sort of the the, the depth of their misunderstanding. Israel thought that because they were a chosen nation, that meant that they were the favorite nation. The chosen nation equated with being the favorite nation. That translated into Israel thinking that it was immune from God's judgment. Like a spoiled child. Have you ever been in one of those places uh, where you can't get away because you either have an appointment or you're on the road, it's an airplane, you're on the bus, you're in a car, you're, you're, you're traveling, and there is a kiddo that obviously is spoiled and he is acting out and acting out and acting out and he's, and, he's, and he's disturbing everybody around him and the parent is saying, you know what, if you don't stop, you're really going to get it. If you don't stop, you're really going to get it. And you don't know which is more annoying, the kid or the parent that's not going to do anything about it. Now that's what Israel has become. They'll do whatever they want to do because they think, erroneously, that God is that kind of a parent. That He loves them and that He's never going to do anything about it. But they don't understand His love. God loves them and because He loves them, He is going to do something about it. I never got that when I was younger. My dad did say to me one time, this hurts me more than uh, it hurts you. I did not believe him. But then I began to understand as I got older that he really did love me. He, did, he, wanted, he didn't want me to get in trouble. I, I realized that, and especially after I had my own kids, it was an amazing thing. After I had my own kids, I called up my mother and dad and apologized for everything I ever did that upset them. I said, I don't even know. I, I can't count. And they said, well, we stopped counting. <laughs> and I said, I, you know, I get a lot of what you were doing. When you, when you love someone unconditionally, you're just not going to stand there and let their life go off the track without stepping and doing something about it, even if it's painful. In Amos chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, God says to Israel, through Amos, proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod and to the fortresses of Egypt. Circle those two places. Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria 
See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who stores up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. Now I ask you to circle two places. The first is Ashdod. Ashdod is a great city of what nation? Philistia. These are Philistine people. God is saying to the Philistines, I want you to set yourself up where you can see the city of Samaria and you can see what's happening. I'm going to uncover and you're going to see what's behind the curtain. And then he says the same thing to Egypt. And, and What is it that is important about Egypt in the relationship to Israel? Well, they were the oppressors. Turned them into slaves. That's Egypt. That's Ashdod. These two nations are called by God to go to the capital of the northern ten tribes, Samaria, and, and these two hard nations in the minds of the, 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 the Israelites are going to stand in judgment of them. Now this is, I think, basically the two witnesses that were needed to establish testimony in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And it's these two nasty nations that have pressed Israel that they hated and thought as not only the enemy of Israel, but the enemy of God that, that, they, that, that, that opposed Israel but had at the same time felt the judgment of God upon them personally. They would stand in judgment of Israel. Now, why would God do that? Why would God bring these two nations? I'm living in the 60s. I'm out on the West Coast. Fictitious story. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm living a life that is dissolute. I'm living a life that is crime after crime after crime after crime. And I'm, I'm finally caught by the police. I'm taken into a court. And there's Charles Manson and there's Adolf Hitler who are standing in judgment of me. Now what am I supposed to think? All along I've been thinking, I'm not as bad as them, I'm not as bad as them. I'm chosen, I'm chosen, I'm golden, I'm golden. And then all of a sudden, Charles Manson and Adolf Hitler are standing in judgment of me. What am I supposed to think? Hmm? What am I supposed to think? If they are standing in judgment of my life, then what must my life really be like in the eyes of God? Israel was this spoiled child who did not think that God's standards of holiness applied to her. But they applied to everyone else. And they were wrong. And you can't help but wonder if the sound doctrine of grace is corrupted in our own time the way that it was corrupted in the time of Paul. that we think because we are saved by grace, by faith in the work of Christ on the cross, by, by God's love and allowing that door to open up to us, that because God is a forgiver, it is His business to forgive, that grace, that we can live any way that we want to, even in a way that would curl the toes of the worst of the pagans, and yet it's okay because we go to the church of Christ. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. 
An enemy will overrun your land, pull down your strongholds, and plunder your fortresses. This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued with only the head of a bed and the piece of a fabric from a couch. The entire globe for the last 2,000 years is littered with the remains of churches that were no longer blessed by God. In fact, even in Scripture, you find in the book of Revelation, you have the, this letter to the churches, as they are a, a general letter to the churches, as they're about to go under persecution by the Roman Empire. And the very first letter is to the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus is, is, is struggling with, in the right way with all kinds of doctrine, but the thing that they've messed up on is that they don't really love each other. That was a historic problem with the church in Ephesus. They were always fighting with each other. Paul writes about it over and over and over again in that letter we know as Ephesus. And now here is John some, some, some decades later saying, you know what, you're about to go under this great persecution and in no way are you ready for it because the holiness of God that you see as love has since somehow not made its way all the way into your heart and soul in the way that you relate to one another. And if you don't return to that love you're supposed to have, I am going to take away your lampstand. Meaning... I will not bless you as a church. Now we could say that that was a church that fell under spiritual warfare, under a direct assault of Satan, and that that's why it fell apart, it fell into temptation, and we would be wrong. It is God saying, I will not bless you. God does not tolerate that, that mentality of a spoiled child that says, I can do whatever I want and God is just going to turn an eye and may speak to me, but He's never going to follow through with that threat. Being chosen, last thing we'll talk about, does not exclude discipline. Because being chosen brought with it special responsibilities, it meant that the sin of, of Israel had to be dealt with because of how it indicted the nature and the character of God. I mean, if this is God's people, then who wants to be a member of that God's family, of that God's church, of that God's nation? But being chosen by God the way that Israel had been chosen should have created this sense of responsibility. This is a great blessing. We have been blessed beyond our ability to plumb the depths of the richness, of the greatness and the majesty of this, of this treasure that we have been given. A responsibility to live a life worthy of God's love and worthy of God's grace shown to them, even though they didn't merit it and they weren't the greatest of the nations, it should have created that sense of responsibility. The New Testament book of Hebrews reminds us over and over that sometimes the hard times in life are not the result of being under assault by Satan, but God trying to get our attention and communicating to us that our lives need to get back on track. But here's the point. Whether it's Satan or God, the point is the same. We need to repent. And that's why from time to time self-examination is important. That's why Paul says to the church in Corinth, examine yourself to make sure that you're still in the faith. And so Amos says, Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it's caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has nothing, if it's not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble when disaster comes to a city? Has not the Lord caused it? 
You know what the lesson is for us tonight? It's this. The chosen should choose what God chooses. What God chooses is righteousness and justice and, and love and obedience and, and faithfulness and, and all of these things. You know, our righteousness does not produce grace. Our righteousness does not produce grace. We, our righteousness is, is like filthy rags according to Scripture. What we bring to the table has no merit to it whatsoever. Our righteousness does not produce grace, but God's grace should produce righteousness in us. We should be living a life worthy of the call that we have received in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. And that combination of God's love toward us, reciprocated in loving obedience to Him, and faithfulness to His Word, and loving what it is that God loves, and choosing what it is that God chooses, and being transformed from the inside out into a righteous life is what becomes a, a light. It becomes a laser in a dark world that's trying to figure it out. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And we offer an invitation. Our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If there is any way that our church can help you clarify in your thinking the call that God has sent your way through His Word, through His, 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 His people, a call that draws you to Him and helps you to understand that the, your life can be different, that your life can be blessed, and in that blessing, it's not, just, it's not lip, uh, flippant, lackadaisical, you, you know, holding on to, to the commands of God. It is a transformation, a radical revolution of your heart. That's what it's all about. That's what the Gospel does. It's the power of God to save you wholly and completely and to make you completely holy. Or if there's some other ways that we can minister to you tonight, that's what our shepherds are for. These men are our spiritual shepherds. They're our guides. If there's any way that we can minister to you tonight, we want you to come down to the front and talk to them now as we stand and sing together. Calling for you.